0: What is the role of artificial intelligence in compliance? What about machine learning? Are you using ChatGPT? These questions are but three of the many questions we will explore in this exciting new podcast series, Compliance and AI. Hosted by Tom Fox, the award-winning voice of compliance, this podcast will look at how AI will impact compliance programs into the next decade and beyond. If you want to find out why the future is now, join Tom Fox on this journey to the frontiers of compliance in Compliance and AI. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Today I'm joined by Fred Schoenenberg. Fred has a very interesting business model where he takes startups and pairs them with legacy companies to help legacy companies have an entrepreneurial mindset with startups having the funding to go forward. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. I'm absolutely thrilled today to have with me Fred Schonenberg. Fred, first of all, welcome. And I've wanted to do this podcast with you for a long time. So welcome to the pod. Tom, thank you so much for having me. I'm very much looking
1: forward to this conversation.
0: Fred, could you tell us a little bit about your academic and professional background?
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I went to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, a ways back now. I played basketball there. I uh, was very focused on, on that at the time. Still a very big basketball fan, as you can tell from the uh, the background here on the video. Uh, but uh, after that, the liberal arts major uh, really started to get interested in Entrepreneurship. Uh, and the idea of creating new solutions uh, became a through line throughout my my career. I, I, I have had a number of startups. Uh, I've worked at a number of high growth startups as the number two type player. And then uh, almost 10 years ago at this point, I launched Venture Fuel. And the whole idea behind it is we help large organizations innovate faster by collaborating with startups. So, I, I sit now at a really interesting intersection between large organizations, early stage startups, and venture capital, where we're a connector between those three worlds to help commercialize innovation to ignite change in the world.
0: My next question was going to be What is the firm's unique approach to innovation? You actually answered that in your prior answer, but maybe you could just expand on that. On how you do. So.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in the world of innovation in the startup ecosystem and this idea of startups and corporates somehow coming together to build something. What's really unique about our point of view is we professionalized that whole approach. A lot of what exists today is what I, I like to call the startup petting zoo. You invite a bunch of startups in, they tell you what they do, and all the big executives go, Oh, that's interesting. And then they go back to their day jobs. And everyone kind of wonders, was that was the juice worth the squeeze? Was the time worthwhile there? We can't come at it from the viewpoint of the best founders are real business people trying to build something important. And every wasted movement is not good for them. And similarly, as a corporation, you're trying to scale your business. You're looking for new solutions to important problems. So what we've done is we've started with that problem gap uh, analysis upfront to be like, okay, what is the problem we're solving? Now let's go find the best startups in the world that can actually solve it. And let's figure out how to structure a deal uh, that enables both parties to validate whether the new solution is a real solution that scales. And then let's go, let's throw gasoline on that and really take both companies to new heights. So it's a little bit more of a structured commercial focused business lens where this is about generating tangible and real results
0: how does a company future-proof for tomorrow?
1: Boy, it's uh, it's really interesting. It used to be you had a couple of competitors, you knew them really well, you were all doing very similar things, and it was who can out-execute each other. Now with technology moving as fast as it is, the barrier to entry, to start a new company, to find consumers, to do all, all the things is so low that your competitive set is not only in different industries adjacent to your own, but in different markets, different geographies, right? So all of a sudden the playing field changed a lot. So I, I think you still need to have laser focus on your core business, what you do day in day out, what puts you know money on the table and, and why you've been able to grow as a big company, but you also need to be looking both ahead and to the side of what's coming next, what technologies are converging with each other. What does that mean for your business? There's the old Wayne Gretzky quote of skate to where the puck is going. I'd say, you need to make sure you're skating to where the money's going. Where's your consumer going? And how do you make sure you're there when they're there? And so a big part of why we exist and what we do is we look out into a nascent and emerging technologies, nascent and emerging startups, and we start to go, wow, there's something here, there, there's something real here and this could impact a large company? And how do you, instead of viewing that as a disruption, view that as a collaboration? Is there a way that you can work with this early stage company that grows both of you? So I I think of it as disruptive collaboration, a way of taking sort of these new ideas and and working with them rather than against them.
0: Really? And that leads to my next question is, how do you take a legacy company that's well-established, maybe a name brand that we all recognize that I don't want to say has lost its innovative way, but they're making a lot of money doing the same thing over and over and over and over. How do you pair them up with a true disruptor, with a true innovator? Whether that be someone like you and me with perhaps more gray hair than not, or the 21 year old who's just thought up something in the dorm room.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting, right? Like large companies don't really lose their innovative edge. They just recognize where the most valuable customers are and they, get really great at serving that customer that has the biggest profit margin and enables them to grow. And that's what is demanded of public companies, but really every company, right? How do you continue to make more money and serve your customers better? So you start to have this very narrow focus on serving that customer and delivering that solution. Whereas a startup founder, no matter their age or their background, isn't necessarily shackled, the wrong word, but doesn't have the same constraints. They don't have to worry about their existing customers because they don't have any customers right so they see a gap and they can go all in on solving just that gap that one piece the modularity of the the full chain and they can figure out a way to do it better faster or more uniquely right and that can become incredibly disruptive to the big player and so a big part of this is unlearning what got you to the top you have to view things a little bit differently Less about quarterly results, less about like the absolute profit margin today, and more about, hey, where is this going? I just had a conversation with a corporate venture capitalist. He's the head of TDK Ventures. And he gave an analogy that I thought was so brilliant. And I told him that I was going to steal it. And I'm stealing it less than an hour after talking to him. And it was the idea of you're looking up at Mount Everest, right? You're the big company. You've been walking up this path straight to the top, and you've got all the best people to go up to the top. And Startups have this little tiny helicopter and they go above the clouds and can look and go, Hey, there are these other paths over here, right? And so you need to change your mindset of, Hey, we're going this way. We're going faster than anybody else. And all your competitors are all chugging up the mountain, but above the clouds where you can't quite see yet, there are all these little startups that are finding new pathways. And boy, if you can find that pathway with them, it's a real competitive advantage.
0: So I talk to a lot of people who innovate in perhaps one field or one corporate discipline in the consulting world, and they will talk to a chief legal officer, a chief compliance officer, head of internal audit, (laughs) financial officer about innovation in those disciplines. When you sit down with a legacy corporation, who are you talking to? Are you talking to a CFO? Are you talking to a head of operations? Who are the conversations you're having with the legacy companies? Yeah. The, uh, the startups
1: yeah it's a phenomenal question and it, it's a little different in each organization ceo chief strategy officer chief business officer all tend to be tasked with the future of the company so those are folks that are very aligned with this mindset and thinking that said we know and work with lots of cfos chief legal counsels that also have that forward facing look. So it it depends a little bit on the organization, the personalities that are there, but really anybody who's tasked with, is this company going to grow? And how do we do that in an efficient way? And interestingly, CFOs end up loving what we do, because if you think about the analogy of the sort of climbing the mountain, right? When we go in the helicopter and look up and we see all these different paths, we also see which paths you should not take as an organization, where it's trepidatious, where there's an avalanche likely to happen. And that information is gold to a CFO. So part of this is about finding startups that can deliver results and help you get up that mountain faster. But part of it is also looking and going, Hey, by the way, you don't have to play on this side of the mountain, this side of the mountain, isn't going to work for you down the road. And so that, that can save a tremendous amount of money. We kind of balance between different. Different titles and parts of the organization, but really anybody that's thinking about the future success and sort of vitality of a large organization.
0: Let me turn now to AI and generative AI and how that has or has not disrupted the process you're involved in. Maybe start with the, the bigger, the big picture question Has it disrupted the innovation world, or are you guys able to utilize it in a way that? actually makes what you're doing more efficient? Yeah, so generative AI, I, I'll say
1: two things. One, every year, every 18 months, there's a new technology that kind of takes the press by storm uh, and becomes the phrase whispered by CEOs down, down the totem pole, right? And whether that is blockchain, whether that is AI, generative AI in this case, metaverse, right? There's always something that's bubbled up that, that has great potential that gets everyone excited. Generative AI, re- has ridden the mass hype train, like no one I've ever seen before. And I think the reason it's sticking around is there's actual business value to it. It truthfully can make immediate impact to make you more efficient, to help you organize your business better. There is just real tangible business outcomes. So it, the hype is justified in this case. It certainly has gotten to the point where valuations on startups are a little out of whack. Uh, And it's not some like magical cure for every problem out there, but boy, it's real. And I think that it has some flashy elements that grabs the attention of, of the press, but like the part of it that's really exciting is actually the behind the scenes enterprise applications. The idea of if you record this podcast and do a transcript and six months from now, you're writing a book and you're like, oh, I think Fred said something about generative AI man, you'd have to go back and listen to the episode and look for the transcript and all the things. Or you could talk to your chat assistant, your generative AI assistant and say, hey, did which of my guests reference generative AI? Can you provide a list of those? And I want the quotes and attributions to where when they said it. And all of a sudden it gets spit back at you. Boy, it saved six to eight hours of your time or someone on your team's time. So that's just an example of how this could be applied in a real way immediately that delivers value.
0: I'm really intrigued by the differences in generations in the workforce.
1: Hmm.
0: So my daughter's a millennial. Uh, she has worked with, been around smartphones all her life. Incredibly comfortable with that. If I say, are you ever going to call me? And she says, what's a call? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll text you if I want something. And so it's really just a different focus. I've talked on the phone more than my parents ever did when I was growing up. How do you see... Generative AI with the current sort of Gen Z, even beyond millennials, who will work with this tool for a good part of their K through 12 and then college life and then come out on the other side?
1: Yeah, I think a good analogy would be the calculator, right? All of a sudden, when that burst onto the scenes, I I remember teachers banning them. (laughs) You can't use them. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, like if this exists, shouldn't we allow our students to know how to do it? Because they're going to compete with people that know how to do it. And over time, some of those rules relaxed and I've seen my team watch me do math on a piece of legal paper and they're befuddled that I can put the numbers together, right? Without clicking them into something. And so I think some of that is going to happen, right? Like anytime there's a new technology and it's native to a generation, that generation takes it for granted. Uh, Of course you can do this, right? Of course you can skip commercials. Like it's, my son is beside himself. He's four and he's beside himself if a commercial comes on, because that's not what we normally watch. We don't watch linear TV most of the time. I think that new generations, not only are they very comfortable with this, but it's all they know. And so they're obviously going to be much faster with it than people that are just getting to learn it for the first time. But I think it's going to be very much in the background of how they operate and not something they think about a lot
0: the so i this podcast is listened to by a lot of legal and compliance professionals Mm -hmm. could someone in one of those professions in the corporate world whether it's a compliance officer chief compliance officer or general counsel could they come to you with a request for help in innovation for their departments does your company help companies in that way or is it a different approach no
1: that's it's a phenomenal question and yes a hundred percent so We, you asked before, who is our customer and and oftentimes it's the CEO, oftentimes chief strategy or chief business officer, but it's oftentimes the head of different departments. So we work a lot with R and D on product development, legal teams, in particular, generative AI, as well as blockchain, both were technologies that sort of had the legal teams go, Hey, wait a second. Is there something here for us? That's interesting. HR is a big one, future of work, right? So legal is a great example, right? A generative AI legal tool can get you 80% of the way there on contracts or change certain things out. And then your amazing legal skills and knowledge of the law and markets can add on top of that, but it can save you a lot of the clerical work uh, that is often done by a paralegal or somebody like that. So I think there's lots of examples of that uh, and how it could be helpful to the legal profession in particular is what comes to mind. But yeah, we we get asked uh, by just about every group within an organization. And with the largest organizations, we're working across multiple business units and functionalities uh, to look at what are new solutions to problems or frustrations that they have to help them be more efficient.
0: Fred, one of the reasons I was so intrigued and, fr- and frankly excited to visit with you for a podcast is I've talked to lots and lots and lots of innovators entrepreneurs, corporate R&D folks, but you were the first person I met that sort of wedded those two groups in a way I would not seen done. And that really led me to want to ask you about either outsourcing innovation or external innovation. Is that something that typically I see innovation either done through R&D or M&A and not the step that you take? Is that a fair assessment, a fair assumption? Is it new, different, or is it just something else?
1: Yeah, Tom, it's an amazing point. And I think what the beauty of our model is this idea of internal and external innovation coming together. And in no way are we a replacement for the internal R&D team or the internal experts. They're always gonna be subject matter experts for whatever their focus area is, especially at a large company, they're gonna be the best in the world. And that, but they're being asked to do so much more with less resources. And all of a sudden these worlds are converging. These adjacent industries are bleeding over. And so how do they get smart on those things or those technologies that aren't native to what they do day in day out? And that's where we come in. So we're the arm to the external innovation world that makes sense of it. That cuts the, that finds the signal in the noise. Of what's out there. And if, if you're not familiar with generative AI and you just search right now for generative AI, AI solutions for legal, buckle up. Like you're, you're <laughs> going to see hundreds of seemingly sounding, interesting technologies. Do they have any idea about IP, different state-by-state jurisdictions? Like probably not, right? They're just, they're just a flashy layer on top of someone else's large language model. So... I think what we're able to do is say, okay, what's the business challenge you're trying to solve that maybe you don't have the time, bandwidth, resources, expertise internally to solve? Let's go find the best in the world externally, help you partner with them, collaborate, and find a net new solution, right? Whether that is new for the big company, whether it's new for the startup or together, something, some sort of joint development agreement, depending on what the problem is. But we view ourselves as an extension of the internal innovation team to the external world so they can see startups, new technologies, apply it to their business in a scalable and repeatable way.
0: It also strikes me is, I don't know if you would call this a direct benefit or some other type of benefit, but it's the following. Worked in the energy industry for a long time and worked for a major service supplier. And we would typically purchase a company for an innovative product or service, more typically a product. And bring them on board and we just destroy them (laughs) Uh, because of culture. You were onboarded and say, we used to be in this pond. Now you're in the Pacific. Good luck. It strikes me with the approach you guys are taking. You can actually help a small startup, bring them into a corporate culture so that you don't lose the benefit of all of those people and their ideas going forward. And that you can, help, I don't want to say mold or meld culture, but help a startup fit into a culture of an existing legacy company. Uh, Does any of that resonate?
1: Yeah, 100%. We, We always talk about the buy, build, or partner, right? With the problem set. Is this something that you should build yourself internally to your previous question? Is this something you should buy? Should you acquire a company and try and bring it into the mothership? Or is it a partner opportunity? And most of the time I recommend either build or partner, because I view it as dating. You need to go on a bunch of dates before you decide if this is the person you want to marry. A lot of MA skips the dating stage. Like it's pretty quick to, we should get married. And usually that doesn't work for both people long-term. And so part of this partnership model is, Hey, let's run a couple commercial pilots, let's start to work together. What values do we get? What insights are being shared? And then all of a sudden, as you start to grow together. There, there is that opportunity for acquisition, further investment. There are, i love innovation in big companies. It's like my passion. So like I take all these executive education classes literally for fun, which my wife thinks is insane. But there's a lot of theory around the idea that like true innovative companies can't survive within a large legacy organization. And so you should create like a standalone business and let it flourish over here. I disagree a little bit. I think it's important that there's an outside opportunity and the things that make a startup interesting should be maintained, but there has to be a connecting dot to the core business. There has to be a value the core business is getting as this scales. But if you acquire it right away, like it's most of the time, you're going to be in a lot of trouble from a long-term value standpoint. Whereas if you can do this partnership, it gives the startup the capital, the resources, the access to your teams. That it needs and wants to flourish, but also doesn't shackle them with everything that you're struggling with as an organization. And struggling is the wrong word, right? All the controls that are there for a reason, the governance that's there to protect the shareholders and the big company, boy, that slows down a startup. And so we, we hope that what we're creating is a way for both to flourish, even if the end game might be an acquisition down the road.
0: Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on venture fuel, on any of the topics we've touched on, or maybe to even to follow up with you, what would be the best place or places for them to go?
1: Yeah, so venturefuel.net is our website. There's all sorts of info on our, our programs with our corporate clients, which ranges from Comcast to Dick's Sporting Goods to the state of California. So a whole bunch of different industries and verticals shares a little bit of our thinking there. So that's a good place to start. And then if you go on LinkedIn, either for Venture Fuel or me, Fred Schonenberg, I'm fairly uh, active there. And you can, of course, message me directly. I'm checking all the time. So I would love to hear from anybody in either of those places.
0: Well, Fred, I wanted to uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. And I hope we can continue this conversation.
1: Tom, thank you. It's been a pleasure to uh, meet you and get to meet your audience.
0: This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Compliance and AI. We're going to have a lot of fun with this series, so I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review whenever we get an episode out so you'll be notified about it. Compliance and AI is really a passion project that I have to try to bring the most cutting edge strategies, tools, and tactics to the compliance professional. AI is going to be leading our profession in many ways, and particularly including the use of data and data analytics. So you need to be ahead of this. You're going to need to use it internally in your compliance program. You're going to be asked to create policies and procedures, training and education and communication to help keep your company out of trouble. The role of compliance and AI is still forming so i hope you will be a part of the discussion by listening to this podcast compliance and ai compliance and ai is a production of the compliance podcast network